Good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Andy. My parents just call me Andy, but you can call me Pastor Andy if you so desire. I want you to look at the person next to you and say to them, what was the worst thought you had this week? Someone you don't know. No, we're going to have a real leveler in today's service. Uh, We're going to go through the Beatitudes, and we're looking at how we're spiritually bankrupt. We looked at that last week, and today we're going to look at what it looks like to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, Before we do that, we're going to do the offering, going to ask the ushers to come forward. Uh, People give in lots of different ways. If this is your first time at our church service, welcome. We're delighted that you're here. Please feel no compulsion to give. This service is our gift to you. I'm going to pray for the offering, then go into the announcements. Lord God, thank you that you are a generous God. Thank you that we cannot outgive you. Lord, thank you that our treasure is in heaven. Lord, where it cannot rust, no thief can uh, steal it either, Lord. But help us to be generous with what we have and help us as a church to be good stewards. In your name's sake, I pray. Amen. Uh, The buckets will go along. Feel free to pass them along. Uh, We are a church life cycle where we're almost a church planting stage again. Now, we have a history of planting churches. That's our desire going forwards as well. We're part of the Antioch movement. Being part of the Antioch movement, we have three core ministry values. The first one is encountering God. So when you come on a Sunday service, we would love for you to feel the presence of God or be ministered to by one another. Second value we have is relational discipleship. So we meet up in small groups. We call them life groups during the week. We love to meet up with one another as well during the week in ones or twos, have coffee together, encourage each other along in the spiritual life. And the third one is life on mission. There's different ways we can be on mission. We can uh, give to missions. We can pray for missions. We can go on missions. But equally, it's not always just to the nations abroad, and we do Yes, we teach from the Bible. It's written at least 2,000 years ago. Thank you, Guy. I don't hold you personally accountable for that. Uh, Written at least 2,000 years ago. We want it to apply to our lives today as well. So one of the things we're going to be looking at now is the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes where Jesus has been teaching uh, in Galilee and around, and he goes up onto a mountainside. And the significance of him going up on a mountainside was not lost to his audience. Before Moses went up the mountain, God spoke. He received the law, then shared it with the people when he came down. Jesus is going up onto the mountainside, and he sat down like a teacher, and he's giving the law. And the significance of this is not lost on the disciples. And the Beatitudes, uh, they are a summary of what follows in the Sermon on the Mount. Very, very famous bit of teaching. Um, Basically, the Sermon on the Mount, if you could summarize it, is what matters in your heart. That's where true faith in God is. 
caring for one another, loving one another, not doing uh, good things to show off to people, but instead doing out of a desire to love God and to love others. And this was a very significant bit of teaching when he gave it. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, at some point the crowds have come. They say that the uh, teaching on the Sermon on the Mount is almost like a student's uh, notes of some teaching. So clearly he spoke for days. And if you read the Sermon on the Mount, it will take about 60 minutes. Uh, So student's notes. But at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds have gathered as well. And they're amazed because here is someone who taught with authority. And we now know with the hindsight of history and the Gospels that Jesus was God. And he's giving them a standard to live by in the Beatitudes. Different people have different views on what the Beatitudes are. In essence, uh, to be blessed means it is well with your soul. It's to be content uh, regardless of the circumstance. And we looked at the first two last week. I'll recap those now for you. There's blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's basically saying you are blessed. It is good for you when you are spiritually bankrupt. That's the first beatitude. And the second beatitude is, blessed are you who mourn. So when you're deeply grieved over your sin, it says you'll be comforted. That means that you'll be forgiven. Uh, I shared a story last week, you can catch it online, about my friend Leroy. He was executed by lethal injection, January 2011. He had committed a murder, a horrific one. But in the midst of when he was executed, it looked like he'd have had absolutely nothing. He was bankrupt in every single way possible. But in the midst of going to the lowest of the low, and on death row, he found Christ. So he was spiritually bankrupt. He had plenty of time to deeply grieve over what he had done. And it was a deep grief. It wasn't a, oh, I've been caught kind of grief. It was a deep grief. And so when he faced his executioner, he's able to say, it's well with my soul. We're going to fill in how it got to be well with his soul, which is the third beatitude. And then the fourth beatitude I'll be teaching on is almost like a come to Jesus beatitude. So when Matthew has arranged them, they are discipleship steps which are all attainable. They are taken one off. They happen one off, but they're to be applied each and every day. I'll pray for God to bless this before I get into the teaching. Will you bow your heads? Father God, thank you that you do not leave us struggling by ourselves. Thank you that you give us your word. Thank you that you came and lived among us. That you are not a distant, disapproving God, but you are a God who is full of compassion and mercy. And yet, Lord, you you give us a law that is just mind-blowingly beautiful. And Lord, if we put our faith and trust in you, you give us the Holy Spirit as well, which helps us to live out the standards that you give for us. Father, speak to us. Lord, help me to get out of the way with my teaching. May you speak to us spirit to spirit. 
and help us to understand what it is we are to take away from today's message and apply to our lives. Amen. Before I read uh, the fourth, uh, third and the fourth beatitude, I'll just read on from uh, chapter 5. It says, Now Jesus saw the crowds. He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Looking at uh, verse 5, the third beatitude, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Uh, You can have a lot of fun looking at different people's tattoos. You'll see lots of kind of big beasts on people's arms. I have a friend who has a very large lion on his shoulder, very proud of how he did it. <laughs> no, not you, Tony. Uh, very few people, no, it was you, Tony. Uh, very few people have meek animals on them. Like, very few people will have a, a little lamb tattoo. Like, it's not something appealing. Like, I spoke uh, a few weeks ago, like, national animals. You have the American eagle. You have the English lion, which has nothing to do with England. This is these big kind of powerful animals. And yet the Bible speaks about meekness being good. As strong as an ox, uh, as brave as a lion, and as meek as a lamb or a dove. It doesn't seem like it would be a good thing. How can you be blessed? Why is it good to be meek? And some of the problem with the desirability of meekness is the translation in English. The translation now means without courage. Someone's meek is someone who is easily persuaded. They go along with the crowd. Not so when this was originally written. In the Greek, meek has a very, very different meaning. Uh, I had a friend at seminary who shared it with me this way, really, really good way of describing it. So when you look at a word, to find out its best meaning at the time, you can look at other pieces of literature to see how that word was used. Uh, a young soldier in a Peloponnesian wars wrote a letter to his fiance, And I can't remember my friend's name, but I'm using his quote, so thank you, Lordy. Uh, Peloponnesian wars wrote to his fiancée about a gift he had got for her. It was a white stallion. And in this, he, he wrote in the letter, this is the most magnificent animal I have ever seen. He responds obediently to the slightest command. He allows his master to direct him to his full potential. And then in describing this white stallion, he says, he is a meek horse. So when Jesus is saying, blessed are the meek, uh, another way to understand that word meek would be uh, in light of the horse, like an animal with a great spirit, but the spirit that is submissive to the rider. It does not mean like a coward or someone without courage. But is it true? So let's say if meek was desirable, is it actually true that it's a blessed position to be in if you are meek? I think if we're honest, most of us would agree. There's an American poet called Sylvia Plath. She said this, I don't believe the meek will inherit the earth. The meek get injured and trampled. Now, most of us would think that's a really wise and true thing to say. 
Like, we live in a day and an age where it's very much a take-charge mentality. Very much an I am enough mentality. But let's just take that to its nth degree. So let's keep working on it. So if you take charge of all of these different things, you're basically thinking the world revolves around you. The world needs you. Your way, your purpose, your wishes, your plans are all that matters. The only disadvantage with thinking like that is there's more than a billion other people that think exactly the same. And if we live with our lives as, we're, as if we're the center of the universe, we'll continually bump into other people that think the same. And what happens is you end up being extremely lonely. don't know if you've ever had a friend that would spend the whole time boasting about themselves, was really, really selfish. You can't wait to get rid of that friend quick enough. And the people that hang around with a take-charge mentality people, they're normally like entourages waiting for something. You know, if you want to say you want to run for office, for example, people will flock to you. If you're not successful, they will disappear. So you end up being profoundly lonely. You wear a mask a lot of the time. You portray yourself as this kind of take-charge person, but behind You're completely, completely broken. So yes, uh, the nth degree, a take-charge mentality. It's not always mean you're successful socially, emotionally, relationally, and certainly not spiritually. So how can you actually be blessed by being meek? The first two beatitudes are are the clue. First one, when we're spiritually bankrupt we suddenly realize that we need God. Like we can't earn our way to him. The second one is when we really have a good understanding of how broken we are. We're really grieved and we mourn. This third beatitude, another way of describing it would be we realize we've got nothing to give to God. We can't bargain with him about anything. And so we'll move to being blessed when we see what happens when we move uh, from not being able to offer anything to God to be praying in the fourth beatitude for him to come into our lives. So we have nothing to offer God. So it's, blessed are the meek, and it says, for they will inherit the earth. Maybe at the moment. So you think of a meek animal, it would be a lamb. A very, very strong animal would be a lion. There's a lot more lambs than lions strangely. Uh, What this actually means, though, when they will inherit the earth, this is theological. It means a little bit now and the rest to come. So in Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, which he does later on in his Sermon on the Mount, he says, my kingdom come, or sorry, your kingdom come. That means God's kingdom will be here on earth. So as Christians may never actually be the triumphant power on earth as it's currently represented, In the fullness of time, when Christ comes back, Christians will triumphantly inherit the kingdom of God. Not because we've won it, not because we've earned it, but because we are with Christ. So it says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So this leads us to the fourth beatitude, which is the kind of the come to Jesus one. Now, the first three Beatitudes have dealt with individual needs. This fourth one moves from a need, a felt need, 
to a desire of the heart. And it is this. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Mother Teresa had this to say about hunger. It's unforgettable, which is why I've written it down. One person. Uh, The hunger for love is a lot more difficult to remove than the hunger for bread. The hunger for love is a lot more difficult to remove than the hunger for bread. So this was a lady that worked with the lowest of the low socially amongst the caste system in India. And she could give them food, but what she wanted to have was a daily ministry with them. It takes a lot longer to let someone know that they are loved. It takes a lot longer to let someone know that they are really appreciated. As we're looking at this verse of hunger... Hunger is a primary drive. So if you're really hungry, it trumps thirst. If you're really, really, really hungry, it trumps fear. Fear of predators, fear of social situations. Once you get very, very, very hungry, most things are allowable in your mind. Now, when we hear the word hungry, we think more of the word peckish. That's an English expression. Imagine a hen just pecking around. So if you're watching sports on a Sunday night between meals and you think, I I could do with some salsa and chips, that is not hungry. What the writer here, what Jesus knew is he's teaching to people Just outside Jerusalem, these were people that knew what the baking sun was like. The typical person, if they were blessed, had meat once a week. If you've ever fasted from meat, you'll know how hungry you get. They would have known what it was like to be thirsty. The wind with the sand blowing on them, the hot uh, sunshine made their throats like sandpaper. So when Jesus says, blessed are the hungry, it's another way, it's almost like saying, blessed are you when you crave. Uh, Hands up if you've known a pregnant lady who has craved something. (laughs) There's no rhyme or reason logically with what they are craving. However, they just have to have it. Shelley's was cracker bread with canned raw tomatoes on them. She just had to have it, would never eat it at any other time. What's happening is your body needs certain types of nutrients, and you have this craving for food which has those nutrients on them. So it's this deep physical need that you have for a certain type of food. Jesus would say there is a deep physical, spiritual, soul, deep need that we have, and it's a hunger. And yet he said it's for righteousness, not necessarily for food. He says hunger for righteousness. Now, uh, it doesn't seem appealing to want meekness until we really know what meekness is. It really does not seem appealing, if we're honest, to want righteousness. If you think of a righteous person, more often than not, it's a very negative connotation. A righteous person, uh, biblically is someone who wants a right standing before God. It means that they know who they are compared to God, 
and they know who God is compared to them. They look at other people legitimately and see we are all equal. Like if you'd really shared what bad thought you'd had this week with a person next to you, you'd think I, they would never want to meet me or speak to me again. Someone who's hungry for righteousness knows that we all desperately need God. That in reality, we have nothing to offer him. And so we want to be changed. So a righteous person never forgets where they have come from and never discounts someone else's story for where they currently are spiritually. Problem with righteous people that we have negative connotations about, they've forgotten the first three Beatitudes. They've forgotten that they themselves are spiritually bankrupt. They've forgotten that they've mourned over their own sinfulness. They've forgotten that they really have nothing to offer to God. But righteousness, uh, there's three types of righteousness. There's legal, there's moral, and there's social. And deal with legal righteousness first. That means a right standing before God. A right standing before God means our sins have been forgiven. I want you to imagine that in this book contains all the worst things you have ever done, are currently doing, and will do. Now imagine that God is above this. He would love to have a relationship with you. But all of the things that we have done blocks that relationship with him. Legal righteousness, Jesus takes all of our sin and he puts it upon himself on the cross. So God judges Jesus on the cross and we can now, without this black book between us, have a perfect relationship with God. There's that right standing. A theological word for that is justification. So blessed are those who hunger to be right with God. And it says, you'll be filled. There's a moral righteousness. That comes after uh, the legal one. A moral righteousness is a, a correct character and conduct. So probably like that meek horse, that white stallion, with a rider upon it. It's submissive to wherever it's being asked to go, but does not lose its spirit or its power. Once we have Christ as our rider, we are then responsive to him leading us. So you have legal uh, righteousness. That's where you come to faith, justification. You have moral righteousness. It's like sanctification. Over time, we're being more and more transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And this righteousness has a third meaning. It's very, very biblical, which we largely forget today. That third type of righteousness is social righteousness. If you look through the Old Testament prophets, so often they will speak judgment upon God's people, calling them back into a right relationship with him. But so much of the judgment where they're saying you're getting it all wrong relates to social issues. The Old Testament prophets were very strong on freedom from oppression. They were very strong on the promotion of civil rights. They're very strong on justice in law courts, integrity in business, and discipleship in homes. So uh, there's righteousness, 
where we come to Jesus. There's righteousness, which is moral, which we like to become more like Jesus. But it's just not a nice internal feeling, that righteousness. It has massive social impact. Does that make sense? So God isn't transforming us just for our sake. He's transforming us because he has a mission for us. That's why in our core ministry values, you have encountering God, you're being discipled, but you're actually doing it to live life on mission. Uh, Now, if you're not hungry at any point, as in physically hungry, it's a red flag. You're typically very, very ill when you lose your appetite. Uh, If you're not hungry for righteousness, if you're not hungry to be right with God, we're not hungry uh, to become more like Christ, if we're not hungry to change the world around us, not because we are the center of the world, but because Jesus is, that's a big red flag. As a pastor, uh, I'll give you two different situations, and someone who I'd be very concerned for, and I've said that to them before, and someone who I'd be much less concerned for, and I've said that to that to them before. Imagine Uh, A husband gets busted for doing something. The husband that gets busted for doing something and is deeply remorseful is in a very spiritually healthy place. They are spiritually bankrupt. They're going to grieve over their sins. They're going to realize whatever pretense they had built up about God owing them something, that disappears So if you're stuck in some kind of sin, and when it gets exposed, you're desperate to change, super healthy. If you get busted in a type of sin, and you try and cover it up, and we say, no, 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 that's that's not true, no, or it's not such a big a deal, I am deeply concerned for that person. They're not spiritually bankrupt. They're not mourning over their sin. I've said to someone before, and it was a hard conversation, I am worried for your salvation with the ability that you are just making this up and pretending it's not a big deal. That you can't legitimately have Christ in you and not be led to that kind of mourning. It says, Blessed are you hunger uh, and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, there's that once-for-all filling. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus himself, the bread of life, fulfills our deepest needs, brings us into a right relationship with God. It says in 1 Peter 3.18, it says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. So Jesus was telling the truth. It will be filled, your righteousness for a right relationship with God. Second way it would be filled, this would be more morally, is the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. Now, we will never be exactly like Christ until he comes again. But our direction changes. We actually want our sinful selves less, and we want to be more like Christ. That is only a miraculous change of a heart that can bring that. Now, If you're anything like me, you can eat a really big Thanksgiving meal. About five hours later, be ravenously hungry again. It's the same with spiritual hunger. Yes, it'd be filled once for all, like with justification. But in terms, there's an ongoing nature. 
Another way of describing it is like coals in a fire. If someone doesn't go to church over the summer, I think, well, you're probably still saved, but by the way, your coal is going to go out quite a bit compared to everyone else who stays at church over the summer. And by the way, if you're not here over the summer, we get less hot as a whole group. There's an ongoing need uh, for Christ. There's an ongoing need uh, for transformation within our lives. And finally, we'll be filled for mission. I went from a person who was stuck in addictions, where everything revolved around, woe is me, to be given a heart that was much more concerned with, what about the people who have never heard about Jesus? It's when we hunger and thirst for that social change that's God calling to us. You'll get many people that desperately want social change. That's probably God kind of tapping them on the shoulder. They don't know it ultimately happens in Christ, but there's a deep resonance within us for justice and righteousness and fairness, and that is God-given. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And finally, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you've yet to have a relationship with Christ, or if you're new in your relationship with Christ, we have explore packets at the front. They're in this little kind of red riding hood basket. They're free to take. Just take one of those. It's a New Testament. It goes through the assurances that we have in Christ. There's a letter from me there as well. We would love to disciple you if you go through those. Next week, uh, we're going to be looking at the Beatitudes that impact us as it relates to other people. So the crescendo has been, here are all of my own needs, verse 3. Fourth one, that kind of come to Jesus moment. But when you come to Jesus, your eyes open and you see the world as he does. And these next Beatitudes, the next two weeks, will be not only how we're impacted, but how we impact others. I was doing uh, discipling someone this week, and this phrase came to mind as we were looking at spiritual formation. It was, if you, sp- you spend time with Jesus to be loved, so we go into his presence to be loved, and then reflexively, we love back. So you spend time with Jesus to be loved and then to love, so that we can then go into the world to love. We're doing the active loving and that the people we have loved can love us back. Does that make sense? So you have this relationship with Christ, you receive his love, you love him back, and then we go out into the world to love others. And trust me, if you're Christ-like to other people, they will feel loved. And in time, if that person develops a relationship with Christ, you will be loved back. Next week, we're also going to look at the 12 steps. Uh, These uh, Beatitudes were the influence behind some of the 12 steps. And wherever you are in your life, I'm sure in some way that we're addicted to sin, whatever that may be. And so we'll be looking at the 12 steps as well and how that interweaves with these Beatitudes. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And we're going to set up a response time. If we hunger for righteousness, change righteousness to Jesus, 
If we hunger for Jesus, we will be filled. And it can be ongoing. So we have that reminder, like with communion. When we're taking communion, we're being reminded of what he has done. We're reminded of our unity with Christ. Other ways that we can encounter God, community here on Sundays, uh, community during the week, discipleship, mission, prayer, Bible reading, service, in and of themselves, they're useless, utterly useless in terms of salvation. But in becoming more like Christ, have a relationship and a union with him, those are essential. So I'm going to invite people to stand. If you've been having a hard time connecting with Christ recently, I would love you to come forwards for prayer. If you've been having an easy time connecting with Christ recently, I'd love you to come forwards for prayer. We need to hunger, deeply crave for Christ each and every day. And you will be filled. And as we're filled with salvation, as we're filled with him as Holy Spirit, we are then equipped and released into the world to share love with other people.